read from Acts chapter 10. This is an abridged version of the chapter. Uh, it's been edited because uh, it's quite a long chapter. Um, and then Steve um, is going to come and speak on this as well. <clears throat> Cornelius was a Roman centurion who was devout, a God-fearing man who gave to charity and prayed regularly. One afternoon, he had a vision of an angel who said, Cornelius. Cornelius was terrified, but said, what is it, Lord? The angel said, God has noticed your prayer and giving. So send to Jaffa for a man named Peter, who's staying with Simon the Tanner by the sea. When the angel left, Cornelius sent servants to Jaffa. Meanwhile, Peter went up onto the flat roof to pray. While lunch was being prepared, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and a big sheet came down by its four corners. It contained four-footed animals, reptiles, and birds. Then a voice said, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've, eaten, I've never eaten anything unclean. The voice spoke a second time. Don't call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times before the sheet was taken back into heaven. While Peter pondered the meaning of the vision, Cornelius' men arrived at the gate and asked if Peter was staying there. Peter was still thinking about the vision when the Holy Spirit said to him, Peter, three men are looking for you, so go downstairs and go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said, why have you come? The men said, we've come from Cornelius, the centurion, a righteous and God-fearing man respected by Jews. An angel told him to send for you so he can hear what you have to say. Peter invited them in as his guests, and the next day he returned with them. They arrived the next day, and Cornelius was waiting, along with his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter said, stand up, I'm, I'm only a man like you. Then Peter went in and found a large gathering and said, it's against Jewish law for a Jew like me to associate with Gentiles. But God showed me I must not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. But why did you send for me? Cornelius answered, We are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything that God has commanded you to tell us. So Peter began by saying, Now I realize that God doesn't show favoritism, but accepts people from every nation if they fear him and do what's right. Now God has sent the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth and the Holy Spirit and power with, with the Holy Spirit and power, and he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. And we are witnesses of everything he did. They killed him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. We ate and drank with him after he was raised. It was him who commanded us to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And while Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard. And the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out on them. Then they spoke in tongues and praised God. And Peter said, surely no one can deny them being baptized with water because they've received the Holy Spirit as we have. So they baptized them all in the name of Jesus Christ. And Peter stayed with them for a few days. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this um, revelation from heaven to earth into Peter's heart. And uh, we pray, Lord, for that same encounter now um, as, as you speak into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.
Um, Steve uh, Bell from uh, National Director of InterServe, working uh, amongst the kind of Southeast East Asian community around the world and in the UK. Just let's give him a warm, warm welcome as he comes and shares with us now. Good morning. Great to see you all. I uh, think each time I get to connect with Riverside, um, the sense of appreciation for who you are, what you guys are doing, increases, and uh, the sense of collaboration with you uh, as a local church, what I call affectionately church on the spot, with us lot, church on the move, the mission community. And so we are discovering new ways of serving God's plan A, church on the spot, with all that you're doing. And so this incredible mutual um, help, and blessing, and encouragement. I pulled something from the um, web I just want to read to you. It says, your car is German, your vodka is Russian, your pizza is Italian, your kebab is Turkish, your democracy is Greek, your coffee is Brazilian, your movies are American, your tea is Tamil, your shirt is Indian, your oil is Saudi Arabian, your electronics are Chinese, your numbers are Arabic. Did you know that? Your letters are Latin, and you complain that your neighbor's an immigrant. When I was asked to take part this morning like this, it was both um, an incredible, exhilarating challenge, because it's made me have to think, but also it terrified me to death. Um, it's an amazing topic. Jesus, the game changer in the area of equality. I want to do a quick um, rain check. And a comment on how the world works. Have you noticed that throughout history, wherever the name of Jesus has gone, it takes with it a thing called the Judeo-Christian heritage? Anybody heard that expression? Little bit academic, little bit posh. The Judeo-Christian heritage, which is the combined wisdom of the Bible. Old Testament, New Testament, and its teaching about how best to order a society. That's the Judeo-Christian heritage. And our society is based upon it originally. And with it, it's about balancing the rights of the individual and the responsibilities of the individual, that that's how a society works. Individual rights and responsibilities give us corporate rights and responsibilities. It's all rooted in 
the Judeo-Christian heritage. And this heritage is still permeating the world today, and particularly the so-called Christianized cultures of the world. I have recently been blogging and asked a question, can a nation follow Jesus? Ever thought of that? And I've come to the conclusion, no it can't. Only individuals follow Jesus. And as individuals adhere to the values, the guidance of our Creator, righteousness can exalt a nation. And then I was looking at three women all of whom are daughters of Christian ministers who have been individuals in a society who have steered the political process. One of them is a lady called Angela Merkel, who they feel may have created the straw that will break the back of the EU with an open-door policy that may take her out of office at their next election. Where did that come from in her heart? Daughter of the Mance. The second one, a lady called Teresa, who, if she wasn't at this conference uh, in Birmingham today, would be in an Anglican church in Sonning, Berkshire, where she attends more than many regular members, doesn't go to Checkers. By the way, her surname's May. Doesn't go to Checkers, but goes home, and she's as regular as clockwork at the local village Anglican church. She's a daughter of a vicar. Hello. Now, politics apart, I'll throw in the third lady, Margaret Thatcher, daughter of a Methodist. And as people drive the agenda of the Judeo-Christian heritage, things get done. And I'm delighted to hear, I just wish I was free to go with Fred and the team down to Calais, Andy, I really do. Because this is us as followers of Jesus bringing to bear in society today the values, the truth of the Judeo-Christian heritage. And simply put, the Judeo-Christian heritage um, includes the value of all human beings. The equal value of all human beings. Tell it not in Gath, the International Bill of Human Rights at the UN is rooted in the Judeo-Christian heritage, which is why Islamists have publicly said they don't want it because it's Christian, justifying the behavior that's gone on in Syria and other parts of the world, dissociating themselves from uh, the Bill of Human Rights. 
but it's based on Jesus' teaching that every individual is of equal value regardless of gender. Remember the suffragettes? Emily Pankhurst? That fight was a fight for Judeo-Christian biblical values of the equality of gender and some of them gave their lives. Social standing. Lord Wilberforce, a committed Christian who fought in British society for the equality and the equal value no matter what social class, no matter what your social standing. Health and iron bevan, and yes, that's how you do spell it. <laughs> Who, based on Christian socialism, labor Christian socialism, was part of driving the formation of the NHS. It's amazing. I'm a trained teacher originally. Where did the schools come from? Driven by Christians. Where did the NHS come from? driven by Christians. And then ethnicity. What about Martin Luther King, just as a, an iconic name that drove the issue of equality of all race, rooted in the Judeo-Christian heritage. And the Bible's absolutely clear about human equality before God. It makes clear that everyone on earth is included in the scope of his care and love. And if we just did a quick sweep of the Bible to see that this actually is the, the broad flow of biblical revelation. Abraham, God promised through him that all families of the earth would be blessed as Abraham became the forefather of Jesus, who became the blessing to the entire world. And when it says families, it, it's talking about ethnic groupings, the same tar ethnos as the New Testament. All peoples of the earth. Jesus, I love it in Re Revelation 14, a fantastic vision. In Revelation 14, the end of all things, the summation of all things in Christ, as the Apostle Paul describes it in Ephesians. All things will be brought together under Christ, said the Apostle Paul. And Revelation, this fantastic four, um, preview that uh, the Apostle John got into heaven. And there he saw people out of every language, Every tribe, every nation standing before the throne and saying of him, you are worthy, O Lamb of God, because you bought us by your own precious blood, just as we've seen the Apostle Peter. By the way, what we read this morning is one of the first, if not the first telling of the gospel to non-Jews. And Peter had to be dragged there. We'll find out why in a minute. Then the early church. All nations was the scope of the gospel. Remember? 
particularly, I, I love the, I've just blogged about this one actually last week, Matthew 28, I say that is the rendering of the Great Commission which is most effective, most appropriate for people from non-Western backgrounds, and particularly people from Muslim backgrounds, because it's a Semitic Jewish gospel. And in it, he says that we are to make disciples among all nations. God values everyone. And then the writing of the apostle Paul, uh, there is neither Jew nor Greek in Jesus. Isn't that lovely? <laughs> That's a racial equalizer. There is neither slave nor free. That's an economic equalizer. A friend yesterday, a Pakistani, was talking about the challenge in Pakistan that if you become a Christian, you need to sit and eat and associate with the lowest class in society because that's where the Christians largely are. They call them the sweepers. Have you heard of that? The sweeper class. And if some of these societies had their way, they'd be the un total untouchables. And to hear this Pakistani minister, who's ha actually been a bishop in the Church of England, say it is mandatory if you were a follower of Jesus that you would sit and eat with folks from the lowest class. Slave or free, male or female, there's the gender issue. Circumcised or uncircumcised, I have no category to describe that. Um, <laughs> barbarian except religious observance or none. Barbarian or sophisticated, all, says the apostle, are one in Christ Jesus. I've been, <laughs> I've been in some gatherings uh, in the UK where that's been above the platform and I'm looking in the sea of faces and there's me and about three other non-Caucasians in, <laughs> in the room, you know, but anyway. By the way, I'm not Caucasian, that's, uh, if you're wondering. Uh, so, the blockage to the Great Commission of Jesus to reach the, the world with a message, the blockage can be if we allow our polite prejudices to restrict us. If we can't get that all cultures have values of good and bad and neutral, that other cultures are not wrong, they're just different. And Some of us around the world have gone so far as to justify our prejudices with theology. And this is what the Dutch Reformed Church did in South Africa. And it became called apartheid. 
and it has a theological basis which actually is going counter to the teaching of the Bible of the equality of all races before their maker. Yeah? And for me, the reading we've had this morning with Peter in Acts chapter 10 is incredible because it's a paradigm shift going on by non, no less than an apostle who's struggling with polite racism. That's what's going on. So there are two people in the story. Number one is Cornelius, and he's an Italian. Okay, he's a Gentile. He's, he's Italian. He's not a Jew. And when, as soon as I hear the word Italian, I'm thinking of Luciani Pavarotti, or we went to see at the NEC the wonderful blind tenor. Andrea Bocelli, wow. Vespers, spaghetti. We're talking the EU. He was an Italian migrant worker. Hello. And he was a military man based in Jaffa, near Tel Aviv in Israel. He was a pagan, but he had a prepared heart. And I love this because I meet so many people in churches who think when they share with a friend about Jesus, that's the first inkling the friends had about Jesus. Uh-uh. It's amazing that God is on their case. The mission is God's. He's preparing hearts we walk into the frame, and he's using us to further his agenda. And it happens with Anglo-Saxon people. It happens with South Asian people or Arab people. God is all over the place. I remember going into one church. I was accosted by, it was a Pentecostal church, accosted by the minister who burst out of his office and said, Steve, God's everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) I hope he's here because I'm having apoplexy. (laughs) And Cornelius was a prepared heart waiting for the right follower of Jesus to come into his scenario. That's what he was. And not only general revelation was coming to him, I'm sorry to, these are technical phrases, and I realize some some of you may be here for the first time and don't normally, um, you know, not so used to this sort of thing. and I'd be very interested to know what you think of me. You can come and tell me afterwards. Um, but there is a thing called general revelation. And Cornelius would look at a wonderful day like today and say, there must be something behind this design. Don't know what it is, but there must be something. That's general revelation. And he'd got hold of the Old Testament and general revelation was coming to him. Yeah, that's good. That's the Judeo-Christian heritage. Yes, that's how we should order our society. Yes, that's how we should treat each other. General revelation. And then, 
<laughs> on a quiet day, he's <laughs> behaving himself, and an angel turns up. <laughs> now, you see, so many churches, by the way, oh, I meant to say this at the beginning, many churches spend all their teaching time, Bible teaching time, about what the Bible says. And almost, some churches, almost no time talking about what are the implications of what it says. What are we supposed to do? What would God have us do? That's what thrills me about your list of 10 topics in this quarter because they are all on the basis of what the Bible says, what should we be doing in the area of forgiveness, in the area of leadership, democracy, equality? That's where it's at. And so we like to hear about these angelic uh, occurrences in the New Testament. We think it's all fine and dandy and yeah. Well, Excuse me, but it's happening today. The first person I met is a lady from Jewish background, and the Lord appeared to her. And she described him in absolutely, the hairs on the back of my neck stood on end as she told me what she saw. I was speaking in the East End of London doing a seminar and a journalist who wasn't a committed Christian at all came up to me at the end and said, can you explain to me why angels are appearing to the Bangladeshi community in Tower Hamlets flats, the high rise? This is only fools and horses country. So when you see the back issues of fools and horses and you see the towers, angels, eight footers, are appearing to Muslims in this country. And one Bangladeshi old guy went into um, heart failure and had to be taken to hospital. So it's not just a theological thing that, well, isn't it nice, all these angels appearing. It's a reality today. And God is active among other cultures. So here's a man, Cornelius, a, ma a pagan with a prepared heart. The other uh, person in the story, of course, is Peter, an apostle with a prejudiced heart. I'm being a little bit more polite now, not a racist apostle, although, anyway. An apostle with a prejudiced heart. If racism is thinking about people differently because they're not in your own ethnic image, and culture, then Peter was a closet racist. And so God gets on his case supernaturally, just as he had with Cornelius. And this incredible dream um, comes through. And Peter is saying, Lord, all the animals in this sheet are forbidden in Jewish law. And you're telling me, you know, you wrote the law. You're the originator of the law. You are telling me 
to break it. Hello, are you, you, am I alone here? And it turns out that Peter was making absolute about kosher law what God was viewing as relative. And there's a case there for some of our pet evangelical doctrines. What is absolute, non-negotiable, and what is relative because it's given for a reason, and this ain't one of them. But notice the contrast that Cornelius responded, what is it, Lord? You remember, did you, did you, I don't know if you noticed that. Cornelius responded, what is it, Lord? Frightened, spitless, but what is it, Lord? While Peter reacted, never, Lord. I can't eat that. Interesting, isn't it? The pagan with a prepared heart. What is it, Lord? The apostle, one of the in crowds, never. <laughs> but God's verdict, and this is our text and uh, top, top, middle, and bottom this morning. When the Lord says to him, um, I don't know if I have it, no I don't. If God says something is acceptable, don't you say that it isn't. So, the racist apostle goes through a paradigm shift. He engages and God shifts his heart. Have you noticed in the scripture, by the way, if there's someone here uh, looking for guidance, somebody needing an initiative from God, have you noticed in the scripture how when people are taking action, he comes in and guides? Yeah. Not passive, but active response. And in he comes. You will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way. When? When you turn to the right or the left. In other words, when it's going wrong, I'll let you know. If you hear nothing, carry on. The road's like a French road, long and straight, until a sign says turn. Yeah? Ask, and it'll be given. Seek. These are imperatives, and you'll find. Knock, and the door will, will be opened. That one's free of charge. There's somebody needing to hear that this morning. So look at the change that happened in Peter's thinking. I love it. In verse 28, if you have your Bible, if you're over 30, open it. If you're under 30, turn it on. <laughs> it, Verse 28, it says, God told me, this is Peter speaking, God told me I should never think of anyone as impure. How's that for an Orthodox Jew? Secondly, verse 26b, when uh, Cornelius is wanting to kiss his ring and all this and, you know, honor him, 
And he says, no, get up. I am a man like you. Verse 26. Now, for a Jew, that was amazing. Even in his day, the Pharisees referred to the Gentile dogs. Don't look at me. <laughs> We're all in this together. I'm a Gentile. Not so, Lord. Kosher law says I cannot. And Jewish law put Peter at the higher level, getting the gold. Got to be contemporary, haven't you? The Gentiles get the bronze. Hmm? But I am a man like you. Leveler, equality. And then verse 34, 35. I see very clearly that God doesn't show partiality. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what's right. Wonderful. And the church also, if he had a change of heart, the church in Jerusalem had a change of mind. So it says there in um, Acts 11, this is into the next chapter, you can have a look when you go home maybe, Acts 11, when the church in Jerusalem heard what God had done, uh, i.e. in Jaffa, all their objections were answered and they began to praise God and they said, God has also given the Gentiles, the Goyim, the privilege of turning from sin and receiving eternal life. Wonderful. So the early church, I don't know if you're aware, it was almost 100% Jewish. Did you know that, the first Christians? Almost 100% Jewish. And they were asking, what? Can Gentiles be saved? Or is this just for us? <laughs> and then, within 200 years in church history, within 200 years, the church was almost entirely Gentile. And then, the Gentile church were asking, what? Can Jews be saved? <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it, how things go? And for me, my watch in church history has been the last 40 years, the last 25 of which have been in this country, working with churches and in leading the, I was going to say leading the charge. That's uh, a bit of a military term. I didn't uh, quite, I wasn't meaning to do that. Um, <laughs> leading the way to interaction with ordinary people from Muslim family backgrounds. And over the last 25 years, when, when I came back from living in the Middle East, uh, 25 years ago, the question in the British church was, what? Can Muslims be saved? What new teaching is this? <laughs> but now, 2016, for the tape, um, the question has shifted, the agenda has shifted. It's not can they be saved, it's 
there are so many of them attaching to our churches across Britain, the question now is, how can we include them in appropriate fellowship? Which is why um, a course called Joining the Family was recently launched. I wrote Friendship First. That's Get Them to Christ. Joining the family is helping ordinary churches to include people from Muslim background in their fellowship. And to top it off, Come Follow Me is another manual you can get, which is helping ordinary Christians provide early discipleship for ordinary people from Muslim backgrounds who are following Jesus. Yeah? And George Verwer said, whatever happened to discipleship, and I agree with him, Many churches in the UK today, it's do the Alpha course, join a home group, and good luck. That's discipleship. I'm caricaturing to communicate. Forgive me, the Lord started it, not me. And so we're now looking at producing materials to help even the Anglo-Saxon church in early, intentional discipleship. And we're getting material that's available in two languages, simple English, and then also those from other backgrounds can follow the same material in their language, even though the the group is in English. So win-win, we're going in the right direction now. Let me close um, and say that it is now official There are more Muslims changing allegiance to Jesus now than at any time in church history. Is this one being recorded, Andy? Okay. MP3. (laughs) Did you hear that? (laughs) He didn't say granddad at the end, but... he said it's an MP3. What's an MP3? I'm sorry. <laughs> I've had the gap. We have it from the church in Iran that there are at least a million believers, followers of Jesus, from Muslim background in that nation. That's inside Iran alone. The diaspora, it's crazy. Once a month in the Swansea area, 200 Farsi speakers are meeting. They're all over. Canada, Australia, America, the the UK. Other groups we long for are the Pakistanis. One of the hardest. Afghans are coming. There are networks across that country of believers. There's hardly a country in the world where there is now not a minimum of a fledgling church of some description, not looking like this at all. But does that bother you? Doesn't bother me. So these are the issues. The good news, and I'm going to stop. 
If a people movement is defined as 1,000 new believers from a Muslim background, or 100 house cell groups, yeah? Have you got that? If you get 100 house cell groups of people from Muslim background, it's called a people movement. Or, just in country X, a thousand believers are now known to be there in that area. It's a people movement. Okay. I wish I had the overhead, and I should have thought, and I could have put it in for you, to see the graph throughout church history of Muslims changing allegiance to Jesus. Let me put it like this, and I'm quoting colleagues in the mission community. More people movements have come about in the past 14 years than the past 14 centuries. So if you saw it visually, the graph just goes through the roof. And it's worldwide statistics. So, before I start crying, <laughs> which uh, when we get into this, I tingle all over and get emotional. But I want to say to you that when we read in the book of Revelation that there will be people there from every language, every tribe, and every nation, God means it. There will be Saudi Arabians, there will be Afghans, there will be members of ISIS, there will be members of, of Al-Qaeda, there will be the good, the bad, and the ugly from every nation on earth. Members of Boko Haram who are coming to Christ, and there are those who are defecting and coming to Christ. There's not time, we just need to get it all in a book or something. If God says something is acceptable, don't say it isn't. God bless.